0: Oh Spirituality Center. We're in yet another wave of this pandemic. So I'm coming to you safely isolated in my home and my guest is coming to you safely isolated in hers. And so we apologize if the sound quality is not what we're used to we're working with what we have to get you an episode for this month and it's going to be a stellar episode because i am here with nima maki and nima is the national program coordinator at the national council of canadian muslims where she creates and leads innovative and community engaged initiatives focused on combating islamophobia and racism in canada she volunteered with the fsc for three years and describes it as her safe haven on campus. She was inspired to continue her work in civil rights by the conversations she had there. Nima holds a degree in chemical engineering from the University of Calgary, and she loves reading, documentaries, good company, and good food. The worst piece of wisdom she's ever received is to tame down her identity. Welcome, Nima.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be a part of this conversation.
0: Yeah, lovely. So let's jump right in. When we were doing our pre-podcast interview, uh, you mentioned wanting to talk about how your spiritual journey intersects with your passion for uh, serving the community. So where did that start for you? Is there like a starting point in your mind?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it really comes back to some of the conversations I used to have with my parents growing up as a child. Um, What I really loved was when it came to religion and spirituality in general, my parents always gave me a choice, and what was beautiful about that was the fact that you know in the sense that it's it's your decision, if you want to do this like we'll tell you about the significance behind this of why we pray or why we do what we do as Muslims, Um, and it's really on you of whether or not you choose to carry that forward. My parents kind of opened the way for like open dialogue, and they talked about spirituality from the sense of it being a lifestyle as opposed to, you know, I guess rituals that you do on a daily or frequent basis. And I I think a lot of, you know, my understanding about the world was kind of shaped through that point of view that practicing, you know, this faith or being a Muslim for me, you know, quite frankly, goes beyond Just, you know, internal practice, like just in worship by myself, but rather caring about others, showing compassion towards others, serving those around me. And so I I think that in, in itself kind of built into my own interests as I started to grow up in terms of trying to actively find things that, you know, work to serve the greater good, work to help people, allowed me to practice that empathy and those values that I found in my faith.
0: Is there, when you reflect on those experiences going up, is there like a particular place that you volunteered that really shaped you? Is there experience you have that really like solidified these values for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Faith and Spirituality Center is definitely one of those experiences. But even, you know, prior to that, I think I tried to basically put myself in any organization that I possibly could to learn more about others, to practice empathy, compassion, and understanding. You know, in all honesty, like I've being a visibly Muslim woman myself, I've encountered a great deal of discrimination over the years. And I've always looked at it from the place of, you know, wanting to ensure that nobody I felt that way and also kind of welcomed it as an opportunity to open my own perspective as well as engage in conversations with others to maybe enlighten them as well and so in a lot of ways like when i got to university i you know i actively kind of seeked opportunities to go ahead and do that i was fortunate enough to kind of come across the faith and spirituality center while working well volunteering with the muslim students association on campus and learning about you know how how great of a role the FSC played in advocating, you know, in in the best interests of all religious communities on campus, and in the type of environment that they work to foster through all of their initiatives. And it really drew me in, honestly, being able to, you know, work with the FSC on some things, even while being president of the Muslim Students Association, really, you know, honestly inspired me to continue my work when it came to interfaith understanding, and as well as, you know helping me with my journey and in terms of wanting to be a better person. And ultimately, you know, after being president of the Muslim Students Association, I, I decided that I wanted to volunteer with the FSC and help with in any way that I could to kind of continue all the wonderful work that they're doing on that front.
0: In your time as president, you mentioned this kind of wonderful advocacy. And I wonder if there's an example in your mind of what that looked like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there the Muslim community is quite large at the University of Calgary campus. Uh, it's very dynamic and and, you know, and honestly it's been growing for years and finding a proper prayer space has always been an issue, but the Faith and Spirituality Center in a lot of ways went above and beyond to help us you know advocate for better prayer space accommodation on campus not only did we you know get a a room i mean the entire an entire center was created to really help all religious groups not just ours to essentially you know help us to provide an environment where we could actually practice our faith on campus as comfortably as possible so collaborating with the faith and spirituality center on you know helping to you know, like helping people to come to the vitruvian space for instance even you know engaging in some of the consultations for the considerations that were put in place for those renovations. And in terms of how, you know, the Vitruvian space was even set up to accommodate the needs of the Muslim community on campus, along with other religious communities on campus, was honestly such a beautiful thing. Seeing that sort of uh, initiative that they took to essentially ensure that the university was doing its part and helping students meet their spiritual needs in that way was incredibly powerful to see and something that I, I wanted to continue to help with in any way that I could.
0: Yeah, that's phenomenal. I don't think I realized that the Vitruvian was that recent of a, a renovation of a space created. So that's really incredible to hear. So I'm going to pivot us a little bit in that, as your bio mentioned, your degree is in chemical engineering. And I think for a lot of folks when they hear an engineering student, they don't necessarily put like interfaith work really high on that student's priority list. So what, what drew you to engineering is maybe the best place to start?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So funnily enough, like I, when I started university, I actually was in a completely different degree. I was pursuing um, a chemistry degree at the time, And I think I had only gone into it because I really loved chemistry. Honestly, in high school, it came easy and I'm like, okay, great. I'll just choose it and go for it. But I think, you know, halfway into it, there was a part of me that was, you know, didn't feel completely fulfilled. There was always a part of me that's just like, well, it's really cool learning about all of these, you know, reaction mechanisms and these intermolecular and interactions as well. But like, there was a part of me that was kind of just like, well, so what, like, how does this knowledge actually help to solve bigger problems? You know, how do we utilize this understanding? And so what really drew me to engineering in the first place was this problem solving aspect that I felt like was kind of missing from my other degree. And the sense that I could, you know, it gave me this opportunity to extend my love for, for learning towards helping others towards helping society meet some sort of need or overcome some sort of obstacle. And in all honesty, you know, engineering in a lot of ways, I'm really grateful for my degree in the sense that it challenged me um, in so many different ways. And it allowed me to, you know, kind of anchor better critical skills that have allowed me to kind of excel in other capacities as well. Even though I'm technically not practicing within my field at the moment, it, it equipped me with all of these organizational skills that I can now put to use to actually do some really meaningful things around the country.
0: So when you talk about critical skills, What are you thinking of, like what's listed on your resume?
1: I think when it comes to critical skills, like in, in terms of being able to just becoming a lot more agile to handling change, you know, in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. right? Like when things go awry and as, as they do, I mean, we're sitting in another wave of the pandemic, so things are just completely unpredictable, but being able to kind of acclimate to kind of a- any change that comes your way, really finding, you know, a logical way of finding a solution it is really what it kind of equipped me for putting me in precarious situations where I've had to like really find a way out of it, you know, in term, whether that was, you know, rationalizing how or like really solving my way through like a calculus problem or physics and trying to help, my, you know, wrap my head around something as hard as that to working on really tough time constraints to get something really complicated done. And I think in a lot of ways that, you know, prepared me to really take on uh, new and different challenges in both my professional career as well as my personal life as well. Incredible. So I'm hearing a couple of
0: different kind of values and skill sets coming out. There's the adaptability, there's that kind of like diligence or work ethic, and then there's also that critical distance that you mentioned of like being able to see a problem for like the facts of the problem and then the final thing that I'm thinking of still is that empathy that you talked about right at the beginning of our episode and I'm wondering give me a a quick moment to compose this question thoughtfully I'm wondering how like of those skills because you have this like incredibly cool job, the National Council of Canadian Muslims, how do those skills start to apply? How do they translate? Like, even, yeah, even if you just want to tell us, like, what you've been working on and what your past projects have been this past year, I know I'm, like, very curious to hear about your work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, There's, there's quite a bit, like, I think the organizational skills really came in handy in terms of being able to plan, you know, something that has a lot of moving parts, for instance. Mm -hmm. So one of the cool things that I actually got to work on, and one of the things I was actually hired for was creating a national run hackathon to end online hate, where we got people and talent from all all parts of the country from coast to coast, developers to actually create a proof of concept for an app or some sort of tech-based solution that actually stopped online hate in some way. And it was really cool to be able to you know, work with the team, kind of figuring out each and every aspect of how we could bring that vision into fruition in terms of being able to create a virtual environment, especially during an ongoing pandemic where people felt engaged enough to be working on this issue, to create a solution that actually made sense in some sort of way, and to be able to pitch it in a way that made sense to Investors As well. A cool aspect of this hackathon was the fact that we were able to bring in um, CEOs of, you know, uh, tech incubators from around the country who were willing to invest in these ideas and help them actually develop them to, you know, something that could actually be downloaded and, and used by people to start tackling this issue a little bit more head on. And also liaising with, you know, big tech companies like Google, TikTok, and Facebook, and kind of holding them accountable on the part that they've played in this. And, you know, essentially having them play the role of being a spectator and providing mentorship on the technical aspects of where our, you know, our contestants essentially Phil, uh, we're trying to figure out as they created their app ideas. It was really cool to be able, and like, I don't think I would have been able to pull that off in any capacity for this organization or, you know, had I not been taught how to organize myself in a way that made mm-hmm. sense and how to coordinate with different teams in and order and, and like, had I not been given the opportunity to identify different strengths and figuring out how all of these pieces kind of fit together. And in a lot of ways, you know, engineering also gave me certain, like it exposed me to a great deal of how to use certain organizational tools when it came to project management, for instance, learning how to use a Gantt chart and how that could be utilized to like delegate responsibilities and really allow anyone who was, you know, helping us plan this event not only, uh, you know, help us do it successfully, but also giving those people an opportunity to grow in the experience of putting it together as well. So in a lot of ways, you know, engineering kind of equipped me with the ability to kind of navigate all of the obstacles that we encountered in terms of getting to the launch of this initiative and then being able to kind of execute on it successfully through. And those organizational skills are still being extended to this day. I mean, one of the things that I'm currently working on right now is the rollout of a new campaign for uh, what we call the Green Square campaign. It's actually a campaign dedicated towards honoring and commemorating the National Day of Remembrance for the Quebec City Mosque attack. And it's also the day to take action against Islamophobia. It happens every January 29th, and it's been taking place since the attack in 2017 as a way of standing in solidarity with the victims of the attack as well as survivors of the tragedy and and making a commitment to really start building a more equitable and better future for all Canadians around the country. I mean, we have so many multiple aspects going on with that. We have something going on with community engagement to education, along with our government relations as well. We have politicians involved in this. We're, you know, essentially mobilizing Canadians from all across the country. And I don't think any of that would have been possible had I not been given, you know, had I not had an understanding of what organizational skills need to go into place to actually see that through.
0: Yeah, incredible. I have a few questions. The
1: first is what is a GAM chart or (laughs) whatever the word is that you said? Right. So a GAM chart is an organizational tool typically used for project management. And it's essentially like a chart that lays out all your deadlines, who's working on what, how long each task is going to take. And it kind of shows it's basically a bar graph that shows you like a a visual representation of everything that's going to get done, how long it's going to take. Uh, so that you're kind of able to keep track of everything that you have going on. So it's been a tremendously useful tool in terms of, you know, kind of seeing any sort of big project through. Um, And it's also been great in terms of using it during a pandemic to kind of uh, provide, you know, a a visual uh, to make it easier to coordinate and communicate with my team members on, you know, where things are at currently with our project and and where we need to, you know, essentially go to see it to the end. Mm -hmm very cool the second
0: question that I have is this hackathon event sounds yeah just phenomenal and I'm so I'm so intrigued by a couple of aspects uh, like the accountability and mentorship and kind of working with the people or companies I should say who are fostering these environments where, hate and extremism can really accelerate. And so I'm like fascinated by this event as a whole. And I'm wondering what kind of like apps or projects came out of that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it was a really interesting event for sure. It's the first of its kind really to be hosted in Canada. And I I think the first time, you know, NCCM has actually taken that on as an organization. And it's interesting because, you know, I I never saw this correlation between civil rights and technology until I really stepped into this role and had to take on, you know, essentially bringing this event to life. And even like for the big tech, like the, the reason why, you know, like, thankfully they were so engaged with this initiative was because, you know, NCCM has played a really, has been very prolific in advocating for more legislation around online hate. Uh, that accountability aspect is is very much woven into what, you know, the organization I work for does really. Finding ways, you know, to essentially help us move forward in in, in a manner that makes sense. Knowing that online hate has played such a pivotal role in perpetuating a lot of, you know, uh, misunderstanding as well as misinformation and, you know, has manifested insel- itself in a lot of, you know, violent attacks that we've seen across the country, even within the past year. And so we like, you know, I'm, I'm so glad to have worked with an organization that sees the responsibility there. And it's an ongoing process. I mean, we, this, this hackathon was a great way of starting that relationship in a lot of ways. And it was an interesting decision that, you know, we had to make really to, To know that, like, in order for these young entrepreneurs, in order for these, for this young talent to really come up with solutions that made sense to address a problem that a lot of these tech companies have fallen short on, we needed to have an objective lens and we need to provide them with mentors, as well as, you know, supporters and stakeholders that could actually help them see that vision through in a way that made sense. And one that, you know, actually aligned with what was needed. Right now in the market as well. So looking at it from a fi- uh, you know a financial point of view as well, a physical point, of view, like whether or not it's actually feasible, but more so the social impact piece and being able to you know bring it to life so that it can actually make a difference in some way. And there were a lot of really cool ideas that came out of it. To name a few, honestly, like there were some that had to do with counter communication. So, you know, providing a digital way of really educating people who, you know, watch, like essentially who have been exposed to like triggering hateful content online. So for instance, anything that's gone viral, you know, just out of its sheer shock factor. So finding ways to kind of, you know, counter some of the stereotypes that's been perpetuated or the problematic language that's been perpetuated, whether that be about any, uh, you know, targeted group. There was a really cool component to the idea that actually won the competition about... Uh, connecting a lot of people with, you know, actual specialists and, and people who are, you know, well versed in some of the topics that people not might not be. For instance, if there was a hateful comment about how Muslim women are oppressed, which again is not true, but connecting them with, you know, a person who's actually well versed on, you know, the rights of women in Islam and, and being able to kind of speak to well from a perspective of, of raising a lot more understanding to that issue in, in particular. So finding ways to kind of counteract that, right? Not, not targeting necessarily the person who's posting it, but rather, you know, directing the people who have seen it towards a greater state of understanding, because they, you know, might not might be more open to changing their perspective, as well as one of the uh, other ideas that uh, would kind of uh, won the competition was also, you know, Creating better representation of people of color, of, you know, people of different backgrounds as well, just to kind of change the narrative about some of the stereotypes that exist about different minorities in Canada. So we're currently in the process of, you know, working hand in hand with these winners. Um, You can actually go and watch the, the final judging round for this competition on the NCCM Facebook page. We actually did an entire live Dragon's Den session where you got to see five judges assess all the top five teams. It's actually a really fun watch. And uh, we're currently working with actually some of those teams on launching their products in March, actually, in two months here. So that's currently something that, you know, people can even kind of still continue to watch and follow their journey as entrepreneurs uh, in the coming months for this year.
0: That is so fascinating. I could listen to you talk for hours, Nima, about all of the incredible projects that you're working on. Unfortunately, we're rapidly approaching the end of our time together. And so often what I do at the end of uh, or towards the end of these podcasts is I kind of ask what... Wisdom or direction you would offer to people who are walking paths that are similar to yours. And your path is so unique. And so, I guess what I'm wondering is how, if we have people who have that same sense of empathy, maybe it's a twofold question. The first is what is the best, like, first step towards developing? that sense of empathy and connection with your community. So that's the first question. And then the second question is maybe it it could be very specific or it could be very broad, but like, how do you get involved in advocacy, especially if you're in a field that doesn't necessarily point in that direction as either a career path or a volunteer path? or a different kind of path. So those are my two questions is how do you instill empathy in yourself? And how do you pursue advocacy? Take from that what you will. Big questions.
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think, you know, in terms of instilling empathy, like one of the biggest realizations or epiphanies that my parents made, you know, kind of brought me to when I was younger was that the world was a much bigger place than what I saw around me. And that as humanity, we were connected in a lot of ways, more than one. And knowing that, you know, I valued my relationship with God, like I I felt I feel almost closer to God every single time I engage in any sort of act that helps to bring people together for a common good or, or, uh, you know, honestly, some sort of good cause. And I think along with that, just kind of being not afraid to say no to opportunities, being kind of open to whatever is out there, really. I've been very fortunate in being able to kind of pursue whatever I felt passionately for and and really going in for it. You know, when I saw there was a merit to do something good to kind of bring people together for a good cause, I kind of jumped at it. I volunteered in whatever way that I could. I I said yes to making time to be a part of it in whatever way that I could. Throughout university, I got involved in a number of different clubs along with my engineering degree. Um, And for me, in a lot of ways, it was a great way of like you know taking a bit of a break from all the heavy content that I was learning in class mm-hmm. and really grounding myself with the purpose of hey why I was you know pursuing this degree to begin with in all honesty it came out of this earnest desire of wanting you know to do better for society and so I, I think it's just being open you know to what's around you really not being fearless and, and taking any opportunity that you see you know having conversations with people that are involved with different groups it's it's you know especially in university really put yourself out there kind of check out the different clubs, the different centers that are available to you, what they offer, and you know how you feel about you know getting involved with them, even in the tiniest way, even if it's allocating even one hour a week in some way to these projects or, or to these centers or these organizations. And I think when it comes to civil rights advocacy, I mean, the National Council of Canadian Muslims is a good. Organization to follow. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, shameless self plug there, but and all honestly, they're doing a lot of amazing work on every front. Are they are standing hand in hand with a lot of wonderful organizations that are working to combat racism and hate across the country proactively. So I think you know, even following them on, you know, following organizations like this on their socials, actively looking for ways that you can you know start engaging with some of the things that they're asking to do. Like for instance, whether that's joining a letter writing campaign or, or. getting involved with the, sharing a petition and even anything small like that is a first step. And, and, you know, really just kind of immersing yourself into it, really being open to whatever opportunity you can to do about it, you know, to help forward what they're doing. And, and yeah, I, I guess kind of just not limiting yourself, even if you're not pursuing a career in that, who's to say that, you know, that's not something that you could do in your downtime as well.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's something really incredible In what you just said that I want to kind of pull out in that like your actions can be small and still count for a lot, especially if you go through an organization like the National Council of Canadian Muslims, because, you know, when you when you work with an organization like that, your small contribution is combined in solidarity with the rest of the people in your community and their small contributions. And it really starts to add up in something like a letter writing campaign or a petition where it takes you, you know, 15 minutes to an hour of your time. And it may feel small and insignificant, but there is a strength and a power in working with your community towards the causes that you care about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that summarizes it perfectly.
0: Okay, so we're, I believe, approaching our time. Because we don't have our usual recording setup, I'm honestly not 100% sure, which we're going to have a good laugh over at our listening party. But uh, the last kind of opportunity that I wanted to give you to speak about is you mentioned that you felt like the work that you were doing brought you closer to God. And we've talked a lot about your work and your experience, but we haven't really talked a ton about your faith. And so I wondered if there were any insights or like religious tenets or anything like that, that you feel really shapes both you and your work that you wanted to share with our listeners.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that, you know, Islam really preaches in a lot of ways is And I think this is a universal value that really extends to all Abrahamic faiths is the concept of charity and compassion. You know, upon learning more about my faith, I came to understand that, you know, actually being a practicing Muslim entailed practicing empathy and entailed being compassionate towards others, entailed being kind to others as well. And a lot of my worship and in terms of, you know, what God values according to Islamic principles is, is not only just about, you know, really like worshiping him entails more than just caring about yourself. It entails, you know, it's it's in the little acts of charity that you do on a day-to-day basis. Charity in Islam can even be considered as something as simple as smiling at somebody. And so something about that is is particularly beautiful and something that, you know, I take a great deal of pride in, in, in being a part of and that um, my faith constantly reminds me that I, you know, I'm constantly growing as a person and I should be aspiring to be the best version of myself in whatever way that I can. And in a lot of ways, my my faith, you know, solidifies my conviction to continue to do what I can to serve my community and to really just do better by people in any way possible.
0: Wow. I think that is the perfect note to end us on. So thank you so much for your time and your story and also just for all of the, the work that you do. I think it is really incredible. I've used that word a ton today. It is really incredible and it's really important and I'm glad that you are the one to do it. So yes, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was uh, so much fun kind of re- reflecting on everything and I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of this. Thanks, Eden.
0: Thank you. And thank you also to the Faith and Spirituality Center who while not being our physical geographical host is still our host in our hearts. And thank you also to Leland Harris We'll see you next month and happy Wednesday.